Devin and Morgana have been celebrating midlife love by getting married a hundred times in a hundred countries. They believe grown-up love gets better and more fun, especially for women. Everyone's smarter, wiser. Men are more relationship-ready. And if they're not, it's obvious. Forget anything you were told about being too old or too late for love and adventure. Instead, get fresh new tips on dating, relating, and travel to exotic destinations. And best of all, call in for personal guidance, creating crazy, sexy midlife love in your life. Today, our episode is about infidelity, and we have a special uh, guest and author, CJ Grace. She is the author of The Adulterer's Wife, How to Thrive Whether You Stay or Not. Her mantra is the best revenge is to get past the need for revenge. And so, you know, that is like, that's not been an issue in our relationship and, you know, hopefully never will be, but it's something that does show up in a lot of relationships. So I thought it was a good thing to address, especially because I really like her. Welcome, CJ. Thank so, you. So, <laughs> <laughs> infidelity, what a fun topic. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> well, the reason I wanted you is because uh, it's not a fun topic, but you're fun. And when there's something so... So we may, we may trick everybody. So, right. <laughs> How so? Well, well, no, I mean, it's, it's an intense subject. Right. Uh, for many people who are in this middle you know, midlife experience, uh, there's probably a whole, there's a whole lot of our audience who've experienced it in one form or another. So it's an important thing, nothing else to get your head right about. So please tell us how you approach infidelity. Well, I learned about it viscerally because my ex-husband, um, I found out that he had been unfaithful throughout the marriage. But the final thing that I found out about, I didn't know at the time when earlier on, but I found out that he was uh, having a fairly long term relationship with a woman that was much younger. She was 33 years younger, a bit similar to your dad, Devin, actually. Uh, I, I was about to say, I guess yes. you must have heard a, a little bit about it. But yeah, no, my my father ended up marrying a woman who was about 30, 30 plus years younger than he was. Yeah. And it's a, it's a whole generation different. But the thing was that uh, I obviously felt absolutely devastated at the time. It was as if the the world had collapsed because also I not only had that, but very shortly after finding out about my husband's infidelity, I was diagnosed with breast cancer for the second time. So that was a real double whammy. And I just felt like the earth had been taken away from underneath my feet. But one of the things that I was really um, strong about was I wanted to make sure that I wasn't acting on emotions because it's so easy to get revenge driven. It's so easy to make poor decisions because you're in an emotional mess. And I didn't want to be doing that. 
my mantra was that the best revenge is to get past the need for it. I wanted to use this experience as a sort of kick in the pants, really, to learn how to have my life be better than it was before. Not as good as, but better. And the funny thing was that it unleashed a whole amount of creativity in me. I, I'm a former BBC journalist. I've always been um, interested in writing. I love writing. I was actually helping my ex with books that he was writing. But once this happened to me, uh, I started having writing come out of me like Delhi diarrhea. You know, it was, it, it, I just, <laughs> you know, I just did. And the way that I wrote, I've written a book that's one of the books has already been published, Adulterer's Wife, How to Thrive, Whether You Stay or Not. And it is actually a comedy self-help semi-memoir, but it's more of a comedy self-help book and it's got cartoons in it. So I'm looking at it with a sense of the absurd. I was brought up on Monty Python and uh, so I, I tend here, to... Hear, here. Oh, yes, yes. Of so I, mean, I, I see the world in... Um, in a sense of the absurd, because Morgana, if you don't laugh, you cry. And what would you rather do? <laughs> you know, so that that's that was that was how I, I began and how I started to write about it. And I interviewed a lot of women. Um, I found out a lot of stories. And to be quite frank, I was grateful that my circumstances were so much easier than than women I spoke to I, I mean it, whatever your circumstances they can always be worse that's mm. one thing I would say we haven't had that in our relationship um it's kind of a scary topic for me uh part of my strategy of getting married so late in life was kind of there's just not a lot of time or energy for that, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, if not now, when? We have an expiration date. You know, get yeah. on with it. Have the life you want. <laughs> so, you know, I think we got a lot of our really stupid, selfish drama out of the way when we were younger. But when I was growing up, when I was 12 years old, my mother found out that my stepfather was cheating on her and she attempted suicide. Oh my God. So that like really deep visceral impact of just how deep that wound is of betrayal. Uh, and then you had your experience while you were having drama with your body too. So that's, that's a lot to process and, and, feel good about life at the same time. So you're kind of a hero to me. And I want to, and I want to hear about that. Right. How, how, because there's obviously multiple layers to all of this. And yes, I want to get to the jokes and the comedy. <laughs> yeah. um, but how did you, how did you process that? Well, you know, I developed what ended up being a six part program, which I can go into more detail now, if you'd like to hear about that. Sure. Uh, yeah. So there were six things that I did. First of all, um, found confidants and mentors that I could vent to that would give me good advice that had my best interest in heart at heart. And sometimes people would be seeing a paid counselor or a coach to do that. I was fortunate enough to have some good friends, some of whom had coaching experience, who gave me really good advice. And it's always a good idea to have 
mentors and coaches of uh, both sexes because you get such a different view from a guy about this subject than you would uh, with a, a, a woman. They, so it's really important to do that. And it's important to choose wisely. There was uh, one person that I knew um, and I realized very soon after I started confiding in him that he was really only after the next episode of the soap opera that was my life at the time. And, you know, was very happy to email all my mutual friends about what I'd said, which I was not keen on happening. So there you go. Uh, you do need to choose carefully. So uh, the second thing I did was to cultivate existing and new connections and rebuild my friend circle because I found that almost all the people I was hanging out with were either friends of my husband's or people connected with the business that we jointly shared that was based on his expertise and it is not very professional to be venting about your husband to somebody that you're that that is part of your joint business you, you just cannot do that <laughs> So I, but could, um, but could you try? <laughs> if I wanted did it you to test stay working that, for us, I didn't. Yeah. Did, did you really test that hypothesis? Right. I tried not to because I didn't want them to have to take sides. Right. And what was really kind of eh, not so great was that some of them who had been accompanying him on his um, when he was doing trainings out of the country had some idea in their head that, well, we just had an open relationship. Uh, but on his uh. side, he had an open relationship. But it wasn't a consensual open relationship. Oh, Lord. So there oh, you dear. go. But I didn't want to put anybody in the middle. And I also, uh, you know, one thing just to digress was that one minute a man or a woman, if he's if it's a woman that's been unfaithful, one minute they're the love of your life. The next minute they're the devil incarnate because you found out that they've been cheating. But really, it's the same person. You know, somebody who's just a flawed human being with good points that drew you to them in the first place and bad points that may make you now want to leave. Mm. So I just think it's a very, very bad idea to demonize your partner. Mm -hmm. And um, if you start trying to demonize your partner to people that you're working, that you are both working with professionally, that's a, a really bad idea, you know, incredibly bad idea. So, well, so that anyway. begs the question, how is your relationship with your ex now? Um, it is decent. It is not good. It, it, I wouldn't say he's a bosom buddy, but we can talk on the phone because I never wanted to have a situation where, you know, we closed communications and the slightest thing that we had to discuss would have to go through lawyers. I don't think so. That's not the way to move forward. Uh, so I can talk to him. I can sort of talk to his mistress stroke fiance, but um, she doesn't particularly like me. So so be it. But I felt like I needed to cultivate a neutral attitude as much as possible to to them and try to remember the reason why. I was with my ex in the first place. I mean, we did have good years. Um, we have two wonderful grown sons and I do not regret what I did. I don't regret the relationship um, because regret is about, isn't about the past, it's about the present. So if you're happy with where you are now, 
you don't regret the past because it's brought you right to where you are now. And regret is sort of like punishing yourself for the actions that's right. of somebody else. Ouch. That, that's right. You know, there's this uh, saying uh, that I read it from um, Car- in a book by Carrie Fisher, but then later found out it came from St. Augustine. And it's, um, it's about... <laughs> I get that- them confused all the oh, time. Yes, I know they do look the same. Um, but the thing was, it, it's resent resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die and in a way revenge is a planning revenge is a bit like that it's the same story you churn it around and you're not letting yourself move on because you're just stuck in that endless dynamic cycle and I just didn't I didn't want to do that right well if so, pain is the focus, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, well, absolutely. And then, you know, going on to cultivating existing and new connections, that was very, very important because you have to build your circle. And I had let, like a lot of women who get very involved in their husband's stuff, um, uh, you know, where their husband is a, you know, a pretty high level person in their field, as he was, Um you tend to let your own stuff go. And so I left, let my friends go. There was one really great friend of mine in, in England who thought that she had done something to offend me because she'd sent me emails and I hadn't responded. So I just thought, well, leave no stone unturned. Get my old friends back. Um, I reconnected with people who are, you know, boyfriends and stuff. And actually I reconnected with an old boyfriend and we are now still um, still together as he is my significant other, despite mm. the fact that he's very far away in London. COVID has not been great for our um, ability to be together, sadly. But, you know, um, it's so important to have your own friends. Uh, and again, friends of both sexes. That's how you can move on. And that's how you have joy because you're hanging out with your friends. Um, and I want to stop for a second with, I love what you said about both sexes. Because it's very easy for either party to get really bitter about the other other sex and they don't seem quite human. And you need to have some kind of healthy connection just um, for your own sanity and to be open. And um, when I first started falling in love with Devin, I transformed from this very poised, self-confident a self-collected person into a progressively hot mess because I liked him. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, when I started um, dating my, um, uh, my friend from before, you know, it was, um, it was like being a teenager again, you know, my middle age, you get into this teenagery thing and it's, uh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be able to do that. Um, It's fun. And I found it useful to have a guy to say, well, Devin did this. What does it mean? (laughs) (laughs) And have somebody like, you know, crack the code. Oh, right. Yes. Yes. You know, I mean, and, and again, with me, I was thinking, oh, I don't know, am I, is, am I making a mistake falling for somebody else? You know, I'm going to, I remember feeling like I was jumping in, into an, an abyss and, and, and think, oh, this is bound to end in tears. But, you know, so far it hasn't. It's been really very, very nice. Um, Did you have, were you like talking to your friends when you were falling in love too, just like when you were un raveling the marriage uh, I didn't until things seemed very stable because 
you know how it is you don't want to jinx it I didn't want to say mm. oh I met this great guy that I used to know we used to work together and the BBC and blah 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 and, and and I really like him and it's great and I you know and then find that it unraveled I wanted to be sure um, mm. and there is this thing that if you say how much you like somebody and and how you want it to continue uh, that somehow it it's sort of like tempting the universe for the thing to crumble right so I wanted to wait for it to be really um solid um and in fact my sister got really pissed off with me for not telling her when at the time that that, that I was at the beginning you know but how long I, did it take to get solid? uh it didn't take very long you know within a few within just a few months it was it was pretty fast and one of the things was because we knew each other from before it wasn't a brand new um, thing because um, he had been um, a friend before and it just, uh, it, so if you know somebody and you've known them, even though I hadn't seen him, I'd known him uh, for 35 years. I hadn't been in contact with him for probably about 30 of those years uh, when I saw him again, but we had common ground. We knew the same people um, and it wasn't like you were dating a stranger and trying to get in there and have things work. I mean, in your case, Morgana, um, was Devin a friend before he became, you know, your significant other, or was he just somebody that you started dating first? He's somebody I found on a dating app. Really? Yeah. My God, how can you get such good quality stuff on a dating app? (laughs) (laughs) So I, I wanted to say something about it. And I've told this story before that my intention was when I joined the dating app, I thought there was zero chance, an absolute zero chance that I would be dating anybody from that or meeting anybody of any quality at all. Right. So I had I had the plan was, oh, OK, I'll sign up for the dating app and I would be there by telling the universe that I'm now ready to be dating And I would see her at the library or at the market or the bank or something. And then I'd fall in love there, but not on a dating app. So that was beyond any, any concept at all, because I was certain we'd go out on a date and I'd think, well, maybe she'll be at the the woman that I was intending to be with. Maybe she'll be at the at the restaurant we're going oh to. My and if you looked at the photos that he chose for the dating app, you would see that he had zero intention. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I think I just picked, I think I just picked a random six photographs and threw them up there. There wow. wasn't. You know, wow. there was some thought process. Like I want to repel women, right, and I, not let them know how cute I am. Right. Wow. That was really my sincere hope. But, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> you failed, Devin. You I failed, failed. I failed. I failed my way to success, which is something that uh, which uh, I, I really identify with. So I wanted to ask you, when you started dating your beau, mm-hmm. are you wiser now? Oh, are you God, different yes. than when you chose the, the former guy? Absolutely. I mean, I, one of the things that I was really not looking forward to when my marriage crumbled was getting back into the dating game because (laughs) I absolutely hated it. I hated it with a vengeance because when I was younger, I just couldn't, I just, it just didn't work well for me. I was, I wasn't confident with, in my looks. I, 
would get if there was a guy that I really liked I would get tongue-tied and I wouldn't really know what to say um, I'd need to have I don't drink anything now I'm a teetotal as they say in Britain which is very unusual for a Brit let me tell you but I used to not be able to talk to a guy unless I was a wee bit tipsy um, when I was younger because I needed that Dutch courage if you know the meaning of that, that expression mm-hmm. um, but and I also looked so young I, I was flat-chested I was short I didn't have any glamour my sister was the glamorous one and not me you know um and so I was just not confident and I didn't really end up having a great time dating and I didn't couldn't deal with the games playing and playing hard to get and all this kind of crap I just didn't do it for me so I was expecting it to be awful really awful but I was very pleasantly surprised because uh, I was being asked out by all kinds of people. I mean, a lot of them were people I didn't have any great desire to go out with, but it's very flattering, you know, when you think, wow, I'm a middle-aged woman in, you know, approaching my uh, sixth decade and the, these people think they want to go out with me and some of them are even younger than I am. And like, God, I was really surprised, you know, and it was, it actually was a blast. It really was a blast. And part of it is, as you get older, you just have more life experience, you're more confident in your own skin, you've got things to talk about. And one of the things that I came out with from that six part program that I haven't quite finished rabbiting on about, right. was that it, it, the whole point of it was to make me feel more complete and more sort of creative and joyful as a human being on my own. And so that with or with a partner, I'd be feeling complete. And I think that's key. If you feel like you are complete rather than absolutely desperate to have a guy or a woman if if that's your inclination to uh, to complete you if you feel you aren't complete without a partner then you end up being very needy and you are probably attracting um, the wrong kind of people to have something be a successful relationship so Mm -hmm. oh it was so much better I was really midlife dating was so much better. And and the, the other thing was you don't take any crap. You don't have to play games. You are what you are. They are what they are. I don't give a shit if you, you know, have a dental plate or whatever the hell it is, you know, I don't, you know, I don't give a shit if you fart, you know, that's fine, you know, and, and don't mind if I fart and all of this kind of, you, you're sort of earthy and normal and you don't have to put up a huge um, facade of how perfect you are because nobody's perfect. They aren't perfect. You aren't perfect but you have to enjoy each other's imperfections. Well, I think it's what you just described, uh, in my humble opinion, is incredibly liberating. I think, you know, as you were talking about, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the aging process. I want want my 20-year-old knees back. I want, you know, there's a whole lot of little things that I want in terms of what youth is. But in terms of the way I see the world... I wouldn't rather, I would not want to be anywhere else Absolutely. because, because really once you started, you know, you're talking about farting and other kinds of things like that. It's like, all that stuff is like, Oh, right. It's fine. Right. It's like, we're fine. It's, there's nothing to be concerned about. And so with each thing that you sort of like allow to fall by the wayside, it, the, the rest of my world uh, becomes much lighter. Absolutely. And I have to say that the other day I came across a diary I wrote when I was 15 and I was shocked. 
I was such a shallow, vacuous person in there. I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to date me. I was sort of, I mean, I, it was all about, you know, concerns about boys and appearance and this friend's done this and that friend's done that. And, and I was mean to friends, but I would be pissed off if they were mean to me. And equally, if, if a guy was hitting on me that I didn't like, I wouldn't be particularly nice to him in, in, in brushing him off. And yet I would be very upset and hurt if, if, a, if another guy that I did fancy did the same thing to me. And, you know, it's funny, I, I didn't realize that I was that person when I was 15. And I am so glad that I no longer am. <laughs> I, you know, it, it's funny you should bring that up. I have a briefcase up in uh, a closet. And in the briefcase is all of this poetry that I wrote, where at the moment I was writing it, I'm literally, first off, I'm drunk, and I was probably 15, drunk, 15, and chain smoking, um, and writing this stuff out that I was certain was brilliant, that was deep, deep and insightful things about the world, about myself. And it's the worst garbage. It's really like I should put it together as just, hey, please, I want I was hoping to humiliate myself. <laughs> Right. Just put, just put a big staple through the whole thing and send it off for all the world to laugh. Have you, have you allowed Morgana to see it? You know, I haven't because it's Ooh. not something I don't I don't sit and pine over it very often. But once every great while, I'll like, you know, when I'm not feeling well, I'll open it up and I'm like, oh, well, whoever that idiot was, you're not him. Congratulations. And then it's time to close the briefcase for another year or two. But yeah, I'm happy to her see it. It's 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 really it's amazing how we evolve. Thank and God. The, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it was humiliating. Absolute absolute garbage, but I remember at the time how incredibly important these thoughts were to write down and to put them down on paper. Um so that you could laugh about them. So I could laugh about later. them. Yeah. And writing about a girl that if my life depended on it, I couldn't tell you who it was. But at that moment, if she had only seen the real me, then all would be fine. And, you know, not the case. Wow. So let me go on with my um, six part program because the next yeah, so point where, is very, where are we very on good. three? It, uh, this is the third one, laughter therapy, because that to me is one of the most important ones, having been reared on a diet of Monty Python, as, we, as I said earlier. Um, and I made sure I hung out with people who brought me up rather than made me feel down. Um, and sadly, there were some a, a particular relative whom I will not um, mention by name, who was very happy with hanging out with me when I was miserable, but didn't really seem as happy with me when I was happy. So uh, and, and she also seemed to um, criticize and demonize my spouse way more than I would have done. And I didn't find that helpful at all. So I mm -hmm. hung out with people who brought me up rather than down. I gave up watching depressing stuff. I only watch comedies. I don't know whether you've seen that movie by uh, with Reese Witherspoon called Wild. I was invited to go and see that. And it's supposed to be a great movie, but I found out it's all about a woman dealing with depression while she's doing the Pacific Crest. She was one of my it. teachers. Oh, really? Cheryl, Cheryl Strayed. I went to a I went to Antioch University. And... Wow. Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, I thought, mm, no, I do not want to see a film about somebody dealing with depression when I'm dealing with stuff that makes me feel depressed. So I didn't I didn't do it. I didn't. You were kind to yourself. Film. Yeah. And and the other thing that I stopped doing, even though I was a BBC journalist and I'd covered a lot of news, I always used to listen to the news. I gave up listening to the news because it's always bad news. You know, I mean nothing's happened in your location, everything's good, everything's fine. Well, that's boring. That's not news. Nobody's going to cover that. They'll cover the one shooting or the one murder or, you know, the war over here or whatever it is. And it's just depressing as hell. So I gave up um, listening to the news. And I think that was better to do that for me. So any favorite movies or TV shows for picking us up? Oh, well, I mean, Monty Python always does that. Mm-hmm. And I do like uh, comedy sci-fi. Uh, there's one that's a British uh, sci-fi comedy that you may or may not know because it's not that available over here. It's called Red Dwarf. Um, and what I like about it is that the, the main characters are all completely incompetent. And one of them is a, is a total arrogant, incompetent um, arsehole, you know, and it's ve- I found it very, very funny and very cleverly written. So I, I went for I like that kind of stuff. I like snarky humor and um, uh, just comedy. That that's that that's what I what I found. And of course, all of the Monty Python movies particularly Life of Brian, um, which was always my <laughs> favourite, you know. Um, you know, He's not the Messiah, he's just a very naughty boy. You know, <laughs> <I love> that. <laughs> that was my favourite. So, you know, I've, I've always loved, um, loved them and uh, the Monty Python team. And so that, that definitely was my favourite. And, and the undertone of always look on the bright side of life. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, despite the fact that that got an awful lot of flack, I mean, they were pillorying Brian and not Jesus. So I thought it was good. I really liked that film. I thought it was very, very cleverly done. I I think that if you write comedy and don't get somebody offended, then it may not be good comedy. That's true. Absolutely true. You've always got to have somebody be in the crosshairs. And they're they're so smart. It's such intellectual comedy. And I think that's why it's so timeless. Um, It's not a fad. (laughs) It's like I saw them at the Hollywood Bowl when I was 14. I still have my philosopher's song poster. Um, I mean, who writes a comedy song about philosophers? That's just weird. And that's why I love it. Yeah, I mean, we even had the summarizing Proust contest. Do you remember that? That was funny. But one of the things that I did um, was I went to the, uh, it was the O2 Centre in Britain where they had, I think, the last reunion that they probably are going to do. And it was um, sadly Terry Jones' last appearance Mm. in public, I believe, before he got that horrible uh, case of of Alzheimer's that robbed him of his voice. And I think, and and then he he died not too long after. But, But it was great, even though I knew the scripts and even though I knew exactly what they were going to say it was still fantastic and I was so glad that I did that I stay I I um, actually delayed my chemo treatment to be able because I'd booked this ticket way back and I delayed my chemo treatment so I could be in England see my boyfriend and go to that show and then I went back to the to I went back to California and and had the chemo but I certainly wasn't going to miss that that show I heard 
years ago, some doctor saying that the power of laughter is so essential for the immune system. Absolutely. So it's, it's yeah. like you gave yourself the medicine you needed. Yeah. And they also have that laughter yoga, the Indian laughter yoga, which um, I mean, I didn't do anything like that because you're sort of forcing a laugh and, and that's supposed to. Be, but it probably does the same things because I read that there are studies where um, even if you're feeling depressed, if you go around smiling, it lifts your mood because a good mood makes you smile, but a smile also creates a good mood. It's very bizarre. But so if you sort of feel down and you go around smiling, it actually helps lift your spirits. And maybe because it's a neurological anchor. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Yeah. So So um, number one is confidants and mentors. Number one, cultivate existing and new connections to rebuild your friend community. Number two, laughter therapy. Number three, number four is really important. It's uh, loving your body and becoming beautiful. And by that, I don't mean you're going to be a supermodel in a couple of weeks. I mean, you know, sleep enough, eat well, don't eat crap, eat well and exercise is really key. I found that when I was feeling really down, just outdoor exercise would bring my mood up. And I remember having a friend who was going through a similar situation with her unfaithful partner, and she didn't even want to leave the house. And I said, you've got if you do one thing, go out in nature, walk for maybe even 20 minutes in nature every day, you'll feel better. And she forced herself to do that. And it did lift her mood. There was no question. So, you know, you need to love it's part of loving yourself if you love yourself then you look after your body um and you it's a shame that that stereotype of a depressed woman who's just been left by her guy is this 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 lady lying in bed spooning the ice cream from a tub and watching television you know watching show after show after show on television and feeling depressed because hopefully comedy shows well yeah but even if you're just lying in bed spooning the ice cream and not moving around and just staying there it's not going to really lift your spirits as much as if you just get out and move get out of the house, see people, move, find some nature to walk around in. I think that's key. It's so important. And force yourself to do it because you may not want to do it if you're really down in the dumps. But I think that if you force yourself just every day, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, just that will make a difference. So so that's number four. Uh, number five was to find my passion and become more of a hedonist. Because a lot of women who are in long-term marriages, when you've had a business together and reared children together and all of that, you end up being, you know, I had my nose to the grindstone most of the time. I did not make time for myself. I realized I hadn't. And so find something you enjoy, whatever it is, and do it. And I don't mean that you have to give up your day job and, and, and see if you can make a living playing the banjo or whatever it is, because <laughs> you probably won't. But make time. If the banjo is your passion, make time to learn it and play it and enjoy it. Or you so, go volunteer if you have some um, cause that you're really passionate about. That's that's absolutely key. What is you use the word hedonism what is your definition of hedonism because i don't think you're saying we should all just go and join plato's retreat which was a right swing thing in the 70s right i don't mean um i just think that you should be 
partially hedonistic as a, an antidote to the sort of, um, in Britain, we call it the Protestant ethic. I don't know if you're familiar with that term where you just, well, you work hard and to earn a living and, and, and you know, nose to the stiff upper lip, stiff upper lip. And, uh, you know, that's how life should be led. You know, no, no. Make time for yourself to do stuff you enjoy. Um, and hedonism is part of it, because if you allow yourself to be hedonistic, rather than thinking, oh, I shouldn't be doing this, I should really be working, I mean, I really need to do this, I really need to do that. No, you need to be living a little bit for enjoyment. You know, eat something because it tastes good and you love it. Um, do, do something really silly. Spend money on clothes if you really feel, if you, if you want to. That's hedonistic. You don't need to spend mm. all your money on, on nice clothing. Um, you know, yeah, hedon, it's, I don't mean that you should run down the street naked and um, give up uh, a normal lifestyle or, or anything like that. Although you could if you feel like it, if that makes you feel better, I, you know, who knows. But um, I just think that in some ways, yes, you should embrace your inner hedonist because most people, most women in long term marriages have not done that for decades. So um, I think it's important. I'm going to pause you for a second because... So it sounds like uh, it's about like finding your love for life again. And oh, yeah. yeah, like I think you talked about in for loving your body because mm-hmm. this is what you've got. Mm-hmm. And that so that leads to, you know, enjoying enjoying the pleasure of life and and kind of everything you're talking about sounds to me like coming alive again absolutely and one of the problems with um certainly i found it and i'm i'm sure i'm not the only one is that you sort of sublimate your personality in the marriage and in the guy and it's sort of squashed and i lost i lost my sense of humor too Uh, there was a really ironic comment that he made to me that that brought it to mind my ex actually told me um Uh, comparing his girlfriend the mistress to me he said she's so much more inherently joyful than you give her time (laughs) give her time time. and and I realized yes that's absolutely true but the reason is because you squeezed the joy out of me and um I and not that he's an evil man, but that was just what happened. That was just the dynamic of our uh, 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 of how our relationship had um, gone. And, well, and losing losing ourselves in a relationship is a young woman thing to do. Like yes, I did it, and you know, every once in a while, there's some amazing woman who gets it early. And I wasn't her and you weren't her and we, right. Yeah. So, but now you get to be your amazing self. That's right. And it's funny because when we separated my, my ex and I, and I went to see um, some old friends of mine in London and they said, oh, wow, it's like we've got the old CJ back because I was, you know, laughing and having a good time and, and making jokes. And, and, and it was just different. I wasn't just constantly, you know, talking about stuff to do with him and, and, and just not very 
forthcoming with anything about me so so yeah it's it's really common you've got to get your personality back you've got to make sure you're you and not just an appendage of somebody else and it's and i would also say it's it's not really your fault you were raised we were all raised with tv and movies and culture telling us to be a good wife right it was, yeah, that was part yeah. of the stereotype. And then the final thing that, that I had in my plan was to do with the fact that the past is gone, the future doesn't exist. So I wanted to stop myself churning about what happened in the past. Well, if I had done it this way, maybe it would have been different. And why didn't I do that? And all of that. And, oh, and now what am I going to do? And how are things going to t- turn out? And what am I going to live on? And, and how is it going to be? And where am I going to live? And, and, and I didn't want to be churning. Um, because all you have is now, you really have nothing but now. So I worked at trying to live in the present and become more mindful. And that's much harder than, than it sounds. That was probably the hardest of the um, six things, but very, very important because if all you're doing is, is running the problems of the past in your head or worrying about the future, you really aren't living. You're sort of existing. You're not living because you're not really present in what is right in front of your nose. And so many people live like that, even if they've never had a cheating partner. It's, it's a common problem. And I wanted to try to get out of that because, you know, here you are in a gorgeous place um, and you're not even enjoying it because your mind is full of other stuff. You're not thinking about, oh, wow, this is beautiful. No, you're worrying about something else. It's a shame. It's not not how life should be lived. You gave an example because you work with women I, and maybe men, too, because men get betrayed and left, too. Oh, yeah. um, but you had an example of a client who had a very dramatic response to betrayal. Do you want to share that? Yeah, I heard about a man who was so angry with his wife for being unfaithful that he filled her car with concrete. He was a contractor. And, you know, everybody laughs when I tell that story. It it does make you chuckle. But where do you go from there? You know, it's not a situation where you're going to be able to have a good reconciliation. It's going to be a situation instead where you're going to have an expensive acrimonious divorce. And you'll be in um, a space where, for example, even if you want to discuss things like custody of the children, how do you do that after after having that kind of example um, there, you know, and what kind of role model are you seeming to be when to your children when you're treating their wife, their mother like that? So, you know, there are all these wonderful revenge strategies that sound really great when you hear about them. I heard it the other way around where the wife was so pissed off with a husband for having an affair with his secretary that while he was at work, she sold his prized sports car for $10 on Craigslist. Um, You know, I mean, but then if they were going to get divorced, that would have been part of the 
amount of the assets that they would have divided. So she was actually cutting off her nose to spite her face with that mm-hmm. action. So, you know, people don't really think when you've got that emotional roller coaster going and you're revenge driven, you start having behavior and actions that really do not serve you. And so one, let me just say one of the things that I had to had to do when I was going through this, when I was in that sort of roller coaster period, I had to, whatever I wanted to do, I had to stop and first ask myself, is this serving my own long-term best interests? Because that really is the most important thing. Very smart. And it's so funny that your two stories are about cars because you were just talking about moving forward. Right. And you can't when your car is moving backwards. Yeah. I just remember in my, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was just saying, you know, the only people that gain from that are the divorce lawyers. You know, they love it. Ka-ching. The more disagreements, the more bad behavior, you know, the more money the lawyers make in the divorce. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, I just remember having, um, and I did a lot of the things, my last breakup that I went through, um, I did most of the things that you talked about. I kind of, uh, you know, quite literally, there was a point where she's like, okay, I'm, I'm leaving. And there was a point like right after that, where it was like, there's, you know, I tried everything, every kind of conversation. And she was like, well, no. And so at some point, it was just no. And I remember her standing up and saying, uh, can I have a hug? And I remember thinking to myself, no, I want to punch you in your face. And and then, of course, I remember hearing a a friend of mine's voice in my head who said, you know, if you love somebody, you want what they want, even if it's not you. Wow. And and, uh, so I hugged her. And then she walked down this. We had at the time we had a long hallway and she was kind of pulling the, the suitcases, the rolling suitcases down the hallway. And, you know, the same voice popped in my head. He goes, you know, a, a gentleman would help her with her suitcases. And that's what I did. I thought, oh, let me grab those. And I walked her to the car. She popped the trunk. I threw, I put the, you know, the suitcases in and she drove away. And that was literally the last time I saw her. And now it's wow. been, it's been, you know, certainly a, a, a decade did she leave uh, you for somebody else? I, well, the, here's the thing. I don't know because part of the conversations that I had with, because I initially spoke with men who were very much like, hey, have you have you made your bed? No, go make your bed and give me a call. And I'd go make the bed. Have you? Did you do your dishes? No. Um, uh, go do your dishes, give me a call. And then say, well, I'll come get you. We'll go for coffee. And then we do that. And probably about a month in, I started speaking to sort of like my, the women and, and the women were great because, you know, men were very pragmatic and very logical about this stuff and like, okay, did you pay your bills and that kind of thing. And women were like, she's a bitch. Where did she live? I'm going to go over there and kick her ass. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, my no. God. That was use. I mean, in many ways, that's kind of not helpful, I would it, say. It isn't. But what I would say is, is there was a point when I had to start communicating because she had more things at the house and things like that. And the women were like, I hate her. She's a bitch. Uh, And then I'd write a letter to like, they'd say, well, when you're going to reach out to her, show me the letter. And then I would write the letter and they would, you know, I'd hear back and say, yeah, that's your letter is right on. You're not going to send that letter. 
you can say Thursday at three is good, you know, and things like that. Like we kept it straight to. And so while it, it wasn't probably in the big picture useful in the litter, in the little picture, it was what I needed on that emotional support. You, we love you on that level, on that level. And when it came down to sort of like, here's my opportunity to punish her through a letter, they were not going to have any of it. That's why they kept it like, okay, yeah, Thursday at three is fine. Thanks. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's what you need. You need good friends who can help you through. Uh, and there's no substitute for that. You should right. really And we do it met six months later. We, wow. Yeah, we met so six months later. This, this lady did you a favor, Morgana. Uh, by, I'm a by, fan. By existing? Yeah, well, of course. I mean, at some point, you know, a lot of the conversations I eventually had, and I'm sure you probably had similar conversations, is that it really doesn't matter what the other person's doing. I have to live with my own future behavior with inside of the relationship. And if the relationship doesn't work out, I'm practicing for the next relationship. Right. Because ultimately, I want to be part of a partnership. Now, I have to work at it and maintain it and you know, be loving and all those kinds of things. And if I have a bunch of feelings that I have to, you know, I have to start discussing them with my wife. I mean, for the most part, we have a, a very open, honest relationship, but it's not open as in seeing other people. No, right. not just, right. to be, right. just to be abundantly clear. Yeah. That was not part of the openness. No. That is part of our thing. I think most people aren't going to have that work. It doesn't work that well. And certainly not for women. That's well, I, I don't think I really don't think it really works for anything. I mean, actually, a, a woman that a, a fellow writer that I know wrote a book called Open. It was about her successful, long term, uh, 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 open relationship. And as more was revealed after the book became very popular here and she appeared on all of these shows, uh, it really turned out that uh that her relationship, in other words, the husband, like she was good with the open relationship. The husband, on the other hand, was absolutely not okay and went with it for as long as he could until it was like, okay, good luck. And right. left the relationship, and which is usually, a yeah, one person wants to do it, the other person is doing it in order to keep the um the, the other person going. happy. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because otherwise it's it's either I put up with this or I have to not be with this person. And I would rather be with this person than not be with this person. But if you ask them, would you rather be with this person without the open relationship? More often than not, they're going to say, oh, God, yes, I do not really want an open relationship. And it's funny because in my Adulterer's Wife book, I've got a cartoon. I have plenty of cartoons in there, but one cartoon is called Group Sex. And it's two people having sex. You can't actually see any body parts. So it's it's moderately clean. OK, um, PG-13. PG-13. But, you know, adultery and infidelity is about sex. So you have to talk about it. You can't not talk about it in a book about adultery and infidelity. Right. But anyway, so these two people having sex and you've got these thought bubbles and both of them are thinking about other people. And the, the heading again of that cartoon is group sex. And the thing is, it's very hard to be fully present to the person that you're making love with if you are really spending a lot of time making love to other people. I just mm. don't think you can be fully present. And if you're not fully present, it's more like having sex than making love. That's just the way it is. And that's my view. Some people might disagree, but that's my view. 
Well, I mean, I think the, I think the joy of all this is that if we keep having these kinds of conversations, because because the imperfection of humanity will persist. Do you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. No oh, matter yeah. what, no matter what we say or do, uh, there's going to be some sort of an office thing. There's going to be, a, you know what I mean? There's just going to be it, these things. So that happen. many reasons. Yeah, there's so many reasons. Yeah. But more importantly, the more we become conscious of our choices and our decisions, the more likely we are apt not to repeat those kinds of mistakes right? and, and put ourselves through the trauma or put somebody else through the trauma. One of the problems, though, um, in terms of the increased amount of infidelity that's happening now is simply longevity. As we live longer, and also now that we have these ED drugs so that a guy can keep bonking until he kicks the bucket, basically, um, <laughs> you know, it opens the door for more infidelity. And it also opens the door for more dissatisfaction within a, a, a marriage. Because obviously, you know, if there are imperfections in a marriage, the longer that marriage the marriage goes on for, the more glaring those imperfections may be, and the more temptations there may be to, to stray and be with other partners. So, so that's something that maybe is is more from our, for our era of a, of more longevity and the ED drugs, as I said, than say it was in the nineteen fifties um, era. Sure, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. In my family, everybody gets it much better on the second go round. So my grandmother got remarried when she was in her forties, and they were passionately in love till the day she died when she was roughly 91, 92. Nobody's really quite certain. Uh, because she chose the right person. They drove each other crazy, but they were more in love than annoyed. So, and, and they just did whatever it took to make it work out. Um, that's really interesting, though, about the longevity, because, yeah, people used to die at 42. It was a lot easier to, you know, have one job and one relationship. Uh, and the sex stopped, you know, um, mm. guys would, would no longer. It reminds me of the very first one of the very first interviews I did for the BBC. Oral sex didn't stop, my grandmother would say. Oh, well, that's tr that's true. Yeah, that is true. But I was just going to say one of the very first interviews I did for the BBC, I was um, I interviewed a stripper who was doing a show in, in the area that I was um, based. Um, I thought she was going to be interesting, but she wasn't that interesting. Um, she just told me about all the guys that she was having sex with and all of this. And I went to I went to the show. I just saw the first half. And there was this old guy next to me. And this was in Bristol, where they have a very thick sort of Long John Silver type accent. And he goes to me, he says, I only come zero because I can't get it up no longer. You know, um, and <laughs> of course, it was the days before Viagra. So so, you know, I mean, that was what what those guys did. But they weren't out there having sex with other people. They were just maybe, you know, going to a strip show or, or something like that. Um, so, so we're we're getting close to the end of our time do you have any advice on how to make the relationship continue to work with these newer challenges like longevity internet the blue pill do you have any tips I think it is really to do with how complete you feel on your own and how complete your partner feels on his own. Because I think the more individual dysfunction there is, 
the more you have problems. Mm. So I would say it's the same kind of thing that I said in the six part plan, uh, having your own friends, being able to laugh, being to able to laugh with your partner. That's very important. Having a great sense of humor together, living in the present, enjoying things together, enjoying the outdoors together and trying to re to make your passion stay passionate. You, you do have to work at that, but it is doable. You, you make dates. You have to think about being romantic um, and uh, not just let sex happen you need to sort of create a sense of celebration around around sex and being together and then you'll find that the spark continues um you you sort of almost have to say okay we're not going to talk about taxes we're not going to talk about repairing the house we're going to talk about us and our wonderful relationship, you know, in bed and, and have fun, you know, take away the things that are passion killers um, from the time that you are putting into having a passionate relationship together. You, you, you do have to work at it because it's very easy to get stuck into a sort of mundane existence and let passion dissolve. And, and that's a shame because we can all we can all make it survive and life is so much better with passion. I agree with you 100%. That's why we're getting married 100 times in 100 countries. Right. Um, I think that's so romantic. You know, it's, it's just great. Thank you. So CJ Grace is the author of Adulterer's Wife, How to Thrive, Whether You Stay or Not. Her mantra is the best revenge is to get past the need for it. I love that. And you can learn more by visiting adulterer'swife.com. Is that where we would find your six steps to go deeper? That's right. And I also have a free mini ebook called Overcoming Infidelity Tools to Tame the Roller Coaster of Negative Emotions. And there's a little button on my homepage where you can click and get hold of that. And if you can't spell adulteresswife.com, because actually, in retrospect, it's a terrible name for a website. <laughs> and there's also a um, there's a porn site that is spelt differently. That means the opposite. That's a, you know, adulterer's wife is in the way I spell it is the wife of somebody who has been committing adultery we will i promise we will have the correct link and the correct spelling in the show notes and you can no porn link link to i can give you a direct link for the um the free mini ebook and put that into google my name cj grace you'll find me and you can find me on clubhouse where i've got an over overcoming infidelity club and i do um presentations there so so just google cj grace or cj grace infidelity don't worry about not being able to spell adulterer's wife and you'll find me i do also have a second <laughs> website rentabrit.com which i do um uh voiceovers and british blogs and and uh, a, a sort of a prototype you podcast. did a very spot on monted python oh yes <laughs> Okay, excellent. Thank you so much, CJ. All right. Well, it's been a real pleasure to to chat with you both. Thank you for listening to Crazy Sexy Midlife Love. Please sign up to join our free love family at crazysexymidlifelove.com. To get alerts to live shows, call in and ask questions, or just listen in. And ladies, don't forget to download Devin's free ebook, 
women are smarter than men, and other secrets marriage-minded women need to know. Also available at crazysexymidlifelove.com.